Principal Matters Podcast, episode 338. Hi, friends. This is Will Parker, host of Principal Matters, the school leaders podcast, where each week we bring you inspiring, innovative, and imaginative ideas for your own school leadership. And this week, I'm with my co-host, Jen Schwanke, the Deputy Superintendent from Dublin Schools, the author of three great books, Jen Schwanke and I actually, we're going to talk this week a little bit about questions from listeners, including one about the RTI process. But before we get there, um, I've been banking so many recordings, Jen, that this one's probably not going to come out to the beginning of April, but we're actually recording this at the end of February because we just saw each other at a conference and I wanted to, first of all, just say to Principal Matters listeners how cool it was to finally get to meet Jen in person. And so, Jen, I'm going to reflect. Do it. Loud. Do it. Reflection one. You're tall. Well, so I was like, I was like, oh, my gosh, I'm looking in Jen, Jen like eye to eye, like Jen is tall. So I have two things to say about that. The first thing, listeners, you need to know, the first thing Will said to me is, oh, you're taller than I thought. <laughs> and when I told that story to my husband, he said, well, did you quip right back? Well, you're shorter than I thought. <laughs> and and I, I said, no, husband, I did not say that because he wasn't shorter than I thought. That's kind of the wrong answer. Um, I said, Will was exactly the height I thought he'd be. So um, it's just, it's just funny to say that I could have had a funny um, response to that, Will, and I didn't. But yeah, I was taller than you thought. And we did reflect on how odd it was because we know each other's mannerisms. We know how we speak. We know the cadence of our conversation back and forth. But we literally had never stood next to each other. So, hey, everybody, I'm tall. Jen is tall. And it I'm was tall. really, it was fun, but it was also maddeningly, is that a word? Madden. You made it one. Yeah, I just made it one. Not, yeah. Um, um, busy. We were yes. both very, it was work. And so we got to immediately, I mean, from the moment we saw each other, we jumped into a meeting, we had a business right. dinner. The next morning, Jen was on stage. Then we're doing breakout sessions. And then we did a closing event together. And then Jen's, I mean, she's out the door and into the <laughs> airport while I'm still helping close the session. And so, um, so as, as fun as it was, it was also a whirlwind of activity. So uh, if you want to know more, you can always reach out if you in, if you want to email me for like pictures of Jen and me presenting on stage together. I, I'll email you a photo if you want to see how tall she is. Yeah, and here's the other joke, just really quickly. When I played high school basketball, I was six six. So now that um, life has happened, I'm only five seven. So I'm not that tall. Um, the joke is, my husband jokes with me about this. You know, you think you're a lot taller than you are. So don't anybody expect some kind of a of a gargantuan human being. I'm. I think I'm not that. I had heels. I had heels on. That was the other thing. And then about the speed of the conference, Will. Here's my question to you: Would you have it any other way? Of yeah. course, we went from place to place to place. We jumped around. Our minds were going a million miles an hour, but that's what we love about these kind of professional learning environments. We met. We, we met do. A ton and, of people. Yeah. Well, and sadly, the, by the time this recording comes out, we will have already presented again at the ASCD National Conference in Denver at the end of March and the first day of April. Um, but then, if you're listening to this show and you have it on your calendar available for July. The NASSP National Conference, Ignite Conference, is back in Denver, and Jen and I have been accepted to speak there as well. And so we're going to do a combined uh, presentation at the NASSP 
Ignite National Conference. Just go on, look it up, and you can um, register to attend there. And if you're coming, please let us know. We would love to meet you. And so if there's a chance for us to connect with Principal Matters listeners at the National Conference, then uh, reach out. Well, Jen, this week we have a question that um, came to you from a prospective administrator and is it okay if I just read the Please. question? And because yeah, I want to jump into this with you for today. And if we have time, we'll do a second one. But this question says, as a prospective administrator and someone who's coming from an elementary music background, what should I know about the RTI process? And more specifically, what should an assistant principal know about the RTI process? How would an AP go about overseeing this process, leveraging teachers and staff and leaders, et cetera, to support the process? So that's such a that's such a great question. It's so specific and it's so um, practice centered. And so I, I want to start there with the question and I, I want you to reflect first, just what, what feedback would you give to this principal or this prospective administrator? Well, let me back up one moment. Listeners, we had about three fabulous questions we were going to talk about today. And this one we chose because there's actually about five questions in what you just heard. This listener wants to know, what do I need to know about the RTI process? So that's, they're saying, okay, this is affecting my, you know, my circle of, of influence, but then also what does an assistant principal need to know about that? Mm -hmm. And then how does that assistant principal go about overseeing it? How does that assistant principal go about leveraging teachers, staff, and leaders to support it? So I, when I read this, I thought of, um, honestly, like an, an onion. There's so many layers to this question. And at the heart of it is, what do I need to know? Mm -hmm. And I really want to start there because that's the most important part. You, every one of you, everybody listening, myself, Will, we all have to really know what RTI is before we can possibly begin to lead it. And I feel like I got a strong understanding of RTI by, by admitting that I knew nothing. <laughs> admitting to people, Hey, I don't know what this is. Everybody's throwing the word R or the um, acronym around. And I feel like I'm the only one that doesn't know what this means. Can you talk to me? Like I'm a toddler and tell me what I need to know. And that helped me get started on the other layers of that onion, kind of working outward to yeah. see how to lead it. I love that. And it reminds me too. Thanks for saying that, Jen, because I remember when I was in the AP role and I was looking for my first principal position. And eventually I found it. But as I was interviewing in other places where I did not end up becoming the principal, and that's a whole nother story. Um, one of the questions that came up in one of the one of the schools that I visited was my understanding of data-centered student learning, understanding the process for professional learning communities and RTI. And I and I I was stumped because right. because our school community at that point had not really begun down that road as in a focused way as, as this district had. And so it was actually really helpful for me to just be honest and say, you know, that's not something I've led. And so right. help me, help me understand what are some of the things that you guys are currently doing and who are you reading and what trainings are you receiving? Because I'd love to do some research to make sure that I'm informed as I'm stepping forward in my leadership. And so I became a student. I began to read more. Um, eventually, I began to attend some of the conferences that some of these other districts were attending. And eventually, our district began to adapt some new practices that helped me understand. So it's okay to say, hmm, I'm, this is not something that I've been a part of practicing 
or maybe you maybe you've swum in it for so long that you thought everybody else swims in this world, but not every not everybody's in the same place when it comes to um, data driven student learning. Right. Well, and and I do want to pause and say just so that everyone knows. There is a movement, not a movement, what's the right word? There is an evolution of RTI called MTSS, okay? A multi-tiered system of supports that really is RTI, but better. And so I tell you that because it was just about two or three years ago when I was sitting in a room with a bunch of other educational professionals and I felt like I knew everything about RTI. I had mastered it. We were doing a great job at it. I could talk about the tiers of support all day long, felt really good. And then somebody said, somebody leaned over and whispered and said, Hey, it's MTSS now. And I was so mad. I said, Oh my gosh, just when I get something, of course they changed, they, they changed the letters. What does it mean? And somebody said to me, and I don't, I don't even know if this is universally true, but MTSS really is RTI, but it also provides space for other components or issues that a child might face. So I'm going to back up a little. RTI is a response to intervention. For me to understand that, I had to, in my own mind, actually think about it as RTI response to issues. Any kind of issue a student has, you make a plan, you intervene, and then you keep going until maybe you have have some success. With MTSS, you can start to use that exact same process to address behavior issues, to address home engagement issues, to address um, some sort of a credit recovery need or whatever. It could be any sort of challenge, a physical challenge it could be. And, and you're using that process to pull in the experts that you need to, to address an issue that a student is having, make a plan, and respond accordingly when the interventions do or don't work. Yeah. So that was, that was kind of a long-winded definition, but it, I just want to share how I came to understand what it is that we're doing, whether it's MTSS or RTI, just, just to know what your starting point really is. Yeah. Well, Jen, before I talk about some of the places where I go for resources. I'm, I'm just curious, who are some of your go-tos or, or do you guys have a specific group with whom you work in your schools? Well, that's a great question. Remember, we are a gigantic school district. We mm-hmm. have 17,000 students. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes when I speak about my experience, it's so not applicable to so many of our listeners who mm-hmm. have districts that are a fraction that size. So where I go is we have an RTI coordinator that's now an MTSS coordinator. And that person's sole role is to go out, get trained, attend the conferences, read the books, and then train the other you know 2,000 staff members on this. So for a small smaller organization, a principal is probably saying, well, Jen, that's zero help because I'm the one in charge and where do I go? And Will, that's where you're going to step in (laughs) and say where you look. Yeah. Yeah. So I I do have a couple of go-tos and one would be Solution Tree. My second book was with them. And so I'm a big fan of, of their work, but I also learned a lot as an administrator attending their conferences, because not only are they so focused on the importance of professional learning communities, but they have so many helpful strategies for response to intervention and and figuring out um, stronger master schedules that help build and schedule and prioritize your time around intervention and remediation. Um, But here's the thing I learned from that too, Jen, and and I'll point to a second source too, so that I'm not just exclusively talking about Solution Tree, but my friend Garth Larson started a group called First Education, and their uh, web address is 
slash us.com. And Garth's been a guest on this show too. And Garth's organization does a lot of PD with districts across the US too on data-driven decisions and in RTI. So I, I don't want to just point to one group only, but I what I have found is helpful about um, admin, former administrators or current administrators who do this work regularly with other schools is you realize that there really isn't no one size fits all, that there there are practices and supports that are helpful in building time in for collaboration, in learning to pull people together and establish norms on how they will analyze student learning and data and come to um, come to the understanding of where students need to to have better understanding. There are essential questions that you want to ask whenever you're managing this kind of work so that you ask those important questions like what am I teaching standards and what are students learning and how do I know they've actually learned it and what do I do when I know they haven't? So those just, and those are Will's, you know, versions of those essential questions, but it's definitely if you're, if I'm talking to a prospective administrator, who's like, Hmm, how do I start this? I would encourage you first of all, to in, engage in that professional learning yourself, whether that's reading or attending those kinds of events yourself, but also recognize that it has to be work that's done collaboratively. And I'm happy to speak to that more, Jen, but I, 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 I want to caution leaders that the times I've seen these things work best in schools are when leaders with their teachers learn how to do these processes. They're, it's not, it doesn't seem to work well in places where the processes are imposed as much as it is when the processes are collaborative and you learn along together how to really reach and help students learn. Right. Because when you do it as a team, you're switching it away from a mandate or um, an expectation and into a team mindset. Right. And, and I've talked before, we talked a lot about this in Oklahoma, the power of collective efficacy is um, you know, it, it surpasses any other thing that we do in schools, the belief that better together is, is so important. So what I would say, if someone is shouldering this alone or feels they need to, there are a lot of sources out there. And you mentioned Solution Tree. I'm going to give a shout out to ASCD who has really taken on this RTI idea. I actually first heard it at an ASCD conference about 20 years ago with Margaret Searle. So she has a lot of stuff out there, but ASCD has, has developed um, a wonderful resource called Understanding the Roots of RTI, and it goes into the history, what, how legislation, how policy, and um, how um, school-based systems have led to where we are today. So I just think it's important to understand why we even got here. I think before the concept of RTI, many teachers felt very alone. They had students come to them, and they didn't know what to do. And they would would try to get students help, but they didn't know how to do it, right? I think about a teacher that I once worked with who a student moved in and um, she came to student moved in first day, com comes to class nine o'clock AM at 1130. She came to my office and she said, he needs help in reading. And I said, oh, okay, tell me his name again. And she said, oh, um, and I said, you to myself, you don't even know his name and you're identifying him as a student who needs help with reading. 
an RTI approach would have slowed that whole train down. And that teacher would have known, hey, I have to first figure out what kind of tiered support this student needs. I'm going to reach out to a couple of experts. We're going to make a plan and we're going to, we're going to know his name, <laughs> you know? So I think what it does is it takes a teacher's um, isolation work and broadens it into a mindset in which a lot of people can weigh in and get the students the support they need. Support for Principal Matters comes from Summer Pops Math Workbooks. For my listeners serving grades two through seven, here's a message from our friend Pete over at Summer Pops Math Workbooks. Demand is high this year. And if you want to order Summer Pops for your students, you need to place your order soon. If you've not contacted Summer Pops, you should do it this week. Principal Matters listeners can work with Pete directly. His email is pete at betterlearningeducation.com or visit their website, summerpopsworkbooks.com to learn more. Summer Pops are designed for your students to practice math over the summer. Engaging, easy to use, and content rich. I've had the privilege to review these workbooks and they are excellent resources. Thank you to Pete for being a guest on episode 336 and sharing the story of how Summer Pops were designed specifically for helping students like yours retain and grow their math skills over the summer. Summer is almost here, so visit summerpopsworkbooks.com today. Support for Principal Matters comes from Peer Driven PD. Did you know that 86% of educators agree that we need more full-time classroom teachers leading professional development? Of course, there's one big problem. Teachers are often too busy teaching their students to lead PD. Well, Peer-Driven PD finds some of the best teachers in the country, films them sharing their tips and techniques that really work in real classrooms, and they use this content in online courses that your teachers can access from anywhere at any time. Visit PeerDrivenPD.com to check it out. I've gotten to know Mike, the founder of Peer Driven PD. He's actually been on the podcast. Check out episode 328. I've had access to his content and it's the real deal. So if you want your teachers to love their PD and to learn strategies that are tested and proven by their peers in real classrooms, visit Peer Driven PD to request a quote today. Be sure to let them know that Principal Matters sent you and Mike will include a package of complimentary resources specifically for admins. That's PeerDrivenPD.com. I, I love that. And just to speak to the importance of doing this collaboratively, I'll tell a, a, just another story from my own personal practice. But I remember when the um, the district that I was in was beginning to adapt and we had a really strong curriculum leader that had um, spent a lot of time leading us through this effort, but began to take administrators to conferences and training. And I remember one in particular where the whole admin teams from the schools, including our superintendent attended. And I remember um, sitting down together afterwards with all our folders and our stuff, you know, and we were all so eager. And, you know, it was one of those moments where you're like, we are going to change the world because we were so well-trained. And I remember this little voice in my head saying to me, this is dangerous if we do this like top down. Like if we come back and we're like, we're going to, this is going to change the world. And, and I, and I remember saying to the team, Hey guys, you know, as excited as we are about this, I would really like to see the same kind of energy and contagious excitement happen among our teachers. So we probably should also be taking them to some of this training and letting them. And so the funny part is, Jen, 
a couple of years after I left um, that principalship and was doing the work I do now, my former assistant principal became the principal and we ran into each other at a, at a meeting because we, we see each other at conferences and, and she said, hey, Will, um, we are now recipients of these, this grant that we, we, every year we get to take more teachers to the same trainings that you and I did. And she said, one teacher in particular, we took to a solution tree training and she came up to me right in the middle of it. And she said to me, if you had introduced me to Mike Maddows three years ago, I would have already been in love with this. I am <laughs> so excited. And so, and I just started laughing out loud because what she was saying to me was what I had been thinking this whole time was, <laughs> which is, is if you is excited and as much as you begin to learn, it takes time. It takes time to train other people, to help other people see the light. And sometimes it also means investing in your people so they have access to really good experts and, and people who know what they're doing so that they can buy into a process that can help kids. Well, let me just do a side note. The problem with us podcasting together is sometimes you tell stories and I'm like, oh, and I have an idea that's a whole other episode. And it's a, it's a problem, listeners. It's a problem. Okay, let's get back to the question at hand, which is the RTI process that this um, listener asked how can an AP go about overseeing the process and leveraging teachers? And that's tying back to what you just said, Will, about making sure team's part of the process. Here's what I think is the non-negotiable. I think there has to be clarity and vision. There has to be universal agreement of what RTI is and how my school's going to do it. And by that, I mean, you start with the triangle. You draw the triangle on as many dry erase boards as you need to in as many meetings as you need to to say, okay, this is how we're going to approach working with students who, who need help. And, and then you start telling stories. Well, you and I talk all the time about the power of stories. Mm -hmm. What's a student that really tripped you up? What's a student where you didn't know how to help them? How would our system have worked in that way? Who's responsible for tier one, by the way, uh, I'm going to give you an answer to that question. It's classroom teachers. Who's responsible for tier two? Who's responsible for tier three? Who decides? And ideally, you never name one person. You name a group of people or a group of experts who own each one of those tiers. And I think oftentimes you have to keep reviewing that. I remember a conversation I had with actually one of our board members about three months ago. She said to me, okay, wait, what do you mean by RTI again? And you guys, I had told her a couple of times she needed to hear it again. And I was happy to say, let me start by drawing a triangle. <laughs> yeah. And we just have to keep saying that because when you keep revisiting your why and you keep revisiting your vi revisiting your vision, then everyone's clear. You're never going to reduce complications, right? You're never going to make problems go away. So you can't reduce complexity. You can increase clarity. And that's what anyone who's leading RTI needs to do. Walk around the world thinking, how can I just be clear on what our process is? Okay. So Jen, I'm going to kind of put you on the spot here. We'll see how do we it. can do, do this. Do it. I'm ready. Okay. So this, you know, the question was written by somebody whose present work is elementary music. And so, and I know that sometimes um, elective teachers, they're not always in the same circles of targeting academic standard processes for, for learning. So, so let's just apply this for just a moment. Okay. We're talking to someone who's in that group and we, you know, tier one is your, you know, your universal level where the majority of your students are receiving instruction and you're trying to make sure that they're, that they're learning that tier two 
is that targeted where you realize that maybe I need to pull kids into small groups because they they didn't understand it in the big group. And so I need to do focus learning. And then tier three would be that even smaller group of kids that need that more individualized one-on-one coaching and help to maybe understand it even more clearly. So I think music teachers do this too. I've been in some classes. How would you coach this music teacher to think about maybe ways that she's already using these tiered approaches and how it could apply to helping teachers understand it? So if it's okay, I'm going to amend your understanding of the triangle to include my understanding. My understanding is tier one is classroom teachers, and that includes significant differentiation. So you do Mm -hmm. still have your small groups. You do have students that you pull in to work one-on-one. That's all. Tier one is all the classroom. And one of the biggest risks of RTI process is that teachers will be too quick to look to tier two, Mm -hmm. because I see tier two as another expert comes in, a speech language pathologist, a reading support specialist, and they either co-teach or maybe they pull a student into a small group. Tier three, the way I see it, is a very, very small percentage of students who need significant help, resource room help, for example, or um, they come in, you know, several grade levels behind and they need significant interventions. And the reason I make that distinction in my own mind is I want to really point out that risk of wanting to, um, tier one, outsource too quickly. Mm-hmm. Our challenge has always been to continue to reinforce with classroom teachers. You are a tier one, and that's the biggest, most important impact Mm -hmm. that you can have on a student. You want to keep those kids. You want tier one to be something you own. But back to the question about the music teacher, this is why we do have to start thinking about it in terms of MTSS, because it's not just academics when you think about multi-tiers. It can be behaviors, or it could be for this teacher, a, a love of music or lack thereof, right? So it could be tier one is just um, the the teacher trying to engage students in understanding and using music, music theory, music practices, um, that sort of thing. I applaud this teacher because she's asking the question. She's probably heard RTI enough times. She's like, oh boy, I better know what this is, right? (laughs) And I applaud it because there is a place for RTI and MTSS in every single classroom, in physical education, in academics. I would argue on the coaching field, in a musical performance, we have to tier how we provide support. And once tier two, not always tier two. Once tier three, not always, kids can fluctuate between these tiers. So you might have a student, let's just think about a musical concept, a music concept. No, let's do art just for fun. Let's do art. Let's say you have an art art teacher who says, listen, I had a kid who was so firmly in tier one during my sculpture unit. And then, oh my goodness, we got to drawing and that kid needed me to provide some more supports. And I needed to pull in some other resources So that student maybe fluctuates between tier one and tier two based on the content that's being presented. And when you think about that in terms of behavior, you might have a student who in the classrooms living in tier one, but oh my gosh, at lunch and recess, tier three, (laughs) right? So you have to start thinking about um, kids as being um, able, willing, and welcome in any tier, and that the classroom teacher has to be the first person that we look to to understand how to help them um, develop intervention plans. Jen, this is why, <laughs> this is why it's so much fun to do the show together because um, I, I'm, I'll just be blunt with principal matters listeners. You're so helpful at helping me understand some things that I don't always see clearly. So thank you for that, because I think sometimes um, it, the, 
in this, and you, also because you've had so much experience, most of mine has been secondary and yours has been secondary and elementary and, and you have had so much work K-12. So thank you for that. That was so helpful. Well, and and I you, think about you do the same for me too. I just want to be clear. I learned so much from you and that's why I love this podcast. And I think our listeners um, feel the same. And, and I think we would both say, well, neither one of us are the experts. We just live yeah. in this and we work and we see it. And our listeners just heard you say something, heard me push back. And I hope everybody that's listening is pushing back a little bit with their understanding yeah. of how RTI works in their building, because nothing that Will says in Oklahoma and Jen says in Ohio is universal. That's the beautiful beauty of RTI though. You look at your staff, your students, your community, your teachers, your parents, and your triangle looks the way you need it to look. Yeah. Well, there's, there's a, couple of more thoughts that I'll add before we wrap up. One is that, um, and you said this already, that um, if you think about good classroom instruction, then inter- you're already doing interventions all the time. Right. If I'm sitting in a music room and I'm watching that teacher do whole class instruction and, and the sopranos got it, but the tenors don't, and I see her stop and push the key for the tenors and say, <clears throat> everyone stop, tenors sing with me, and then she's giving instruction for the tenors until they have that part down, she's already differentiating and targeting that, or she may say, um, bases, you didn't get this at all today. I want to schedule tomorrow lunch and you're going to come by and we're going to work on your part together because you're not getting it during the class time together. Or she may bring in a support person, maybe another keyboard player who's going to work with a group of kids. While she, it's, it's the same thing, Jen. All the time. And you know what is so funny to me is if you presented this concept to a basketball coach, they'd be mm-hmm. like, well, duh. Absolutely. I got to work with this kid on dribbling and this kid, his left-handed layup. Oh my goodness. You know, we all know this, we all know how to do it. And it's the formalizing and, and, um, standardizing of an RTI or MTSS system for an entire school that seems overwhelming. But what I would argue is most educational professionals inherently understand the concept. It's just creating that clarity and vision that standardizes it and makes it a language that everybody's speaking together. Well, that was helpful. So I'm looking at our time together and I'm trying to decide if we need to just wrap up this conversation or if we want to add like, uh, a speed round <laughs> response to someone else's feedback. What do you think? Well, I think we do, we run into this problem all the time. I think we should wrap it up and let this be a, you know, RTI, RTI 101. I don't know. You tell me. See, listeners, no. this is the problem we run into. We like to talk. <laughs> no, I think this was really helpful. In the show notes, Jen, I'm going to try to put some links to some of the organizations that we mentioned, some of the resources that you and I both have mentioned too, but we are, Jen and I are the first to say that we, there are certain things where I don't consider myself an expert. Even as a solution tree author, I, I don't present on PLCs and RTI because that's just not the area where I feel like my strength area is in terms of presentation. I've, I've led in schools, I participated in those things. And so, um, and so Jen, I so appreciate your, your feedback and expertise for this question and being, having you in the room, but I do, I do want to say this, this perspective administrator, you will not have, there's no way when you step into an interview or you're looking at a new opportunity or role that you're ever going to have the answer to every single question. The, the, the most important thing is that you're curious, you're willing to keep learning and you know where to find the resources and helpful information that can help you grow in that area if that's not a strength area for you. 
and Jen, I like to say this to people that are in interviews too. Um, I know that it, that the most important thing for most of us, if we're interviewing is getting a, is getting the job. I mean, because all of us want to win. We want to say we got offered the job, but I actually think there's something more important than that. And I, I know this sounds counterproductive, but it, I actually think the most important thing you can do in an interview is provide value to the people in that interview so that when you leave, they may be a little bit better at their job than when, before they met you. Right. So in other words, collaborate with them. So if they're asking you questions that are like new to you, you, then this is a PD moment for me. I'm like, Ooh, tell me more because I want to understand this. And then here's the input I have based on my experience. And obviously you have things that you can teach me. And so, um, so I know that's really weird to say as you're thinking about stepping into an interview for a, for a job, but I don't know, I guess I'm just always a teacher at heart. So for me, every moment can be a potential learning moment, even when you're confronted with things maybe that you don't know yet. Right. And I, you know, will you and I get a lot of questions from people as they're going into interviews because they do want to land a job. I think it's perfectly fair to say in an interview about RTI, I have a strong understanding of RTI from my perspective, but I would be really eager to learn how your district looks at RTI and how I can become a student of your current processes and improve them. And by that kind of answer, you're saying, listen, I know what I know. I think it's pretty good, but I also understand that every culture is, um, every school's culture might need a different set of skills from me that I'll, that I will learn so that we can, we can talk about interviews all day, but that's just my little tip. All right. Well, Principal Matters listeners, I hope that was helpful. And as you are listening to the show today, I'm just going to say something we said at the beginning. If uh, you're thinking about your summer um, and you have it on your calendar in July to be at the National Association of Secondary School Principals National Conference, please send me a quick heads up because Jen and I would be so honored to get to meet you. But maybe you're not going to that conference and maybe you've got summer PD happening in your district or you're looking for good summer PD. And so Jen, I'm just going to put a plug in for the both of us because we spend quite a bit of our summers when we're not vacationing or with our families with other districts and other leadership teams. And so you can reach out to either Jen or to me because whether you want us presenting on our books or on other leadership topics, um, I, you know, Jen, I've never said to listeners, or if you want to try to reach out and have both of us come, which I'm just telling you, if you do that, it's dangerous because- <laughs> because it's not dangerous. I mean, you could choose a different word <laughs> in a positive way. A positive yeah, the, 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 the amount of energy in the room doubles at that point. And so you right. might, you might have to like patch holes in the walls and stuff. <laughs> after we leave. It's because I'm so tall because of how strongly Jen walks across stages. Right. And, exactly. Because I'm six, nine wings, microphones. <laughs> Well, Principal Matters listeners, thanks for hanging out with us today. And Jen, thank you for taking the time to learn. And Principal Matters listeners, until next time, thanks for doing what matters. We'll talk to you again next week. Thanks, everyone. You can find free resources like this one at my website at williamdparker.com. Check out the services link on williamdparker.com to learn more about leadership academies, mastermind offerings, and executive coaching. If you're planning professional development for the year ahead, or you're looking for keynote presentations from any of my books, please email me at will at williamdparker.com. Thank you for learning together today, and thanks again for doing what matters.